It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. We're the defective characters. Three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. James here. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, Mark will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us in this episode 20 of the Defective Characters podcast. Let's go. James, why haven't you taken the tree down yet, dude? I'll take your tree down. It's almost fe- or it's almost Valentine's Day. We gotta put the hearts in the cupids up. Hold on, did you say you'd take his tree down? Yeah. Yes. What does that mean exactly? I don't know. I'm scared either way. Okay, Mark's looking scared with you two guys. So just uh, take it outside if you need a minute. But uh, I'm I'm very thankful that uh, Mark's here with us. He's going to be uh, telling his story. I've never heard it before. Uh, Dennis, can you introduce Mark for us? Sure. Wait, um, I know what it means. What's it mean? We've got a lot of nose hairs, and I bought you a nose hair trimmer. I was hoping you didn't notice. Um, I don't know how to go into it. Sorry, I didn't. That. <laughs> All right. Hey, Dennis, can you introduce Mark for us? That's how to do it. That works. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think the first time I met Mark, he showed up to a night meeting here in celebration and that night it was night, it was a meeting and meeting and my sponsor me alone leave me alone <laughs> my sponsor was supposed to like find a speaker for that meeting and uh five minutes before the meeting he didn't have a speaker he didn't know what he was going to do and he wasn't worried about it and then all of a sudden this gentleman walks up with his wife and Mike, my sp- Mike, my sponsor introduces like, hey, you know, are you visiting? He's like, no, I just moved here. Uh, he's like, oh, do you have any time? And uh, his wife uh, said, uh, yeah, he's got plenty of time. And and Mike asked Mark, hey, do you mind speaking? <laughs> and so it's five minutes before the speaker meeting, and Mark, being the good alcoholic that he was, said, sure, I'll speak. So that night I heard him tell his story, and uh, it was like. All of a sudden, within an hour, I felt like I've known him for a long time. Uh, right after that, you know, he came to the meetings regularly, and now he's like a part of our herd. You know, we have breakfast at, at coffee shop like every morning, and it's a joy. So with that, here's Mark. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Can you, uh, can you start with your sobriety date and home group for us? Yeah, good morning. Uh, my sobriety date is uh, October 26th. 1983 and I'm very grateful uh, that I haven't um, had to take a drink or a drug since that time my original home group is uh, the oldest city group the best group in the land Um, it's uh, since closed uh, the meeting room and scattered to the wind we have uh, different uh, meetings all over town in St. Augustine and um, uh, one of them kept the oldest city group name and meets on Tuesday it's a it's a men's meeting and uh, I remember how I found that meeting I went to um, the clubhouse on a Tuesday I was going to a meeting and I didn't unbeknownst to me that was a women's meeting and they threw me out and told me I should go over to the men's meeting at Selingstein Beach they did it very nicely though so it was all right, but I'm originally from St. Augustine, and Dennis, I have to say that um, your sponsor uh, that you have today would have been a lot ni- is a lot nicer than my sponsor. Um, uh, when I, when he uh, couldn't find a speaker, he'd go, "Boy, guess what you're doing tonight," and he'd run me up on the speaker podium, and I'd be speaking. So you lucked out that that evening, I believe. <laughs> but uh, anyway. I'm originally from St. Augustine. I was born and raised. I'm probably a fourth generation there, and my kids are fifth generation. My dad was born there. Uh, I grew up there, and I uh, grew up at St. Augustine Beach. I like to say I, 
I grew up on the back sand dunes of St. Augustine Beach. But uh, I, uh, I had a great childhood there. I went surfing a lot to the beach. And, uh, my dad eventually in 1965, when I was a, um, a teenager, I guess, a young teenager, he opened up a surf shop. And uh, a bunch of guys uh, that uh, were surfers around there uh, that wanted jobs, they managed a store And I, while I was going to school and worked in it in the summertime. And later on, uh, when I grew up and went to school and did a little business course, uh, uh, I bought it from him, and uh, that's what I did uh, in uh, St. Augustine. Was uh, I was a retailer, which my dad was too, and uh, we uh, we were in the retail business. But uh, along the way, through those teenage years and uh, I guess twenties, twenty, I found uh, growing up in the '60s and '70s, you know, peace, love, rock and roll era. I, I got into uh, a lot of drugs. And we drank a lot of beer, too, and, and uh, Jack Daniels and things like that. Growing up at the beach, we did a lot of drugs, a lot of LSD, a lot of, you know, things like that. And I, I got into more of that. A lot of my friends got into downers. I was always into uppers. I, I like to fly high, I guess you'd call it. I don't know. I, I always like to be awake, and I could drink more then. And I think about it then, and, and uh, uh, I never thought I was, uh, when I first got into Alcoholics Anonymous, I uh, first this was shown alcoholics and honest i really didn't have that problem with drinking it was all drugs but i learned later uh that i did but um you know i, I drank and drug I, I i like to say two businesses went up my nose um it got to the point where it started to affect me um i remember going like i said to football games i was in a flag football team and I remember when I, I, I think I crossed the line, I, everybody would be going home. I was single too, so I mean, I didn't have, you know, unless I had a girlfriend at the time or met somebody, uh, I really, you know, could stay out as long as I wanted to. Um, but I, I'd fill the pitchers, uh, the leftover pitchers of beer into my pitcher and finish everybody's beer that they left. And, uh, I think about that today, and that must have been when I crossed the line. And I was probably in my early 20s. And this went on with all the uh, cocaine and the beer and the, and the Jack Daniels till I was 30 years old. And uh, I remember it affecting me, uh, affecting meetings I had to go to. When, when, when I finally got into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was the president of the most active organization uh, young men's uh, business organization in St. Augustine. I just can't believe that. I, I uh, eventually had to tell those guys what had happened to me. But, uh, you know, I was always active in things and, and doing service work for the city. But I drank and drugged all the way through it. And uh, it got to the point where it put me in the hospital. I, I, I uh, put in the hospital and and because uh, i'd od'd on booze and drugs and uh got got to the point and i didn't know what was wrong i didn't know why i did what i did i was always i thought i was always a pretty responsible person and because uh, i was in business and i still had the one surf shop and uh the other two stores i had they all went up, like i said went up my nose and uh i i don't know what happened but uh uh, I guess I OD'd or something. I don't remember it too well, but I, I got—I was had to go to the hospital, and uh, I ended up in a treatment center for uh, 32 days. And they told me about Alcoholics Anonymous, and I fought them tooth and nail. I didn't think I had a problem with booze. I, I had a problem with drugs, and uh, they just kind of, you know, let me rant and rave. And when I got out of that program, I remember. Because I, you know, I, I knew everybody in St. Augustine. I grew up there. I, I, I had to. I'd run up to Jack, I'd run up Jacksonville Beach, where I ended up in this treatment center for meetings. I was afraid of who was going to see me. And most of my friends were really happy that that I'd found some kind of, a, excuse me, a recovery, or or some, found something where I wasn't doing what what I'd been doing. And uh, y'all told me I had to change. Uh, uh, my, all my people, places, and things. I couldn't hang out with the same people I hung out with. And um, so I was afraid to go to the beach. I was afraid to even hang out in town too long or what, what might happen. Because I'd try to stop before, and I would swear I'd never do it again. 
And I'd end up in the same position. I did that many times before I found Alcoholics Anonymous. And or it found me. And uh, I swear I'd never do it again. I swear, I, you know, I'd make, just like it talks about in the book. I, I swore even with a friend we'd never do any more of this stuff again. And all these things. And, and uh, I didn't know why I stopped. And I kept asking, God, please help me. And he let me go on and on and on. And, and I believe to this day, my higher power uh, let me drink and drug as much as I needed to drink and drug. I, I'm sure everybody's heard this before in, in meetings to get me where I needed to get to where I could surrender to the fact that I needed help. And I finally did, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. And uh, I, I believe today that Alcoholics Anonymous, my higher power, God was always there. I always believed in God. I, I know a lot of people have a problem with that when they get in the program. I just didn't think God would help me. I just, you know, thought he'd just, you know, let me go on to the bitter end. And I was going off a cliff fast. But uh, I believe today that uh, he get, let me go, let me go to the point where he said, okay, Mark, I want to show you something. And I want to show you Alcoholics Anonymous. Here it is. Boom. What are you going to do now? you got to be willing to help yourself. And if you're willing to help yourself, I'm willing to help you. And I didn't, I still didn't believe God would help me. And I finally got, went to a meeting in St. Augustine. You know, I went round and round in my, in my van. And, uh, and then I finally had enough nerve. Who was going to see me? What I was going to do if somebody saw me in there and all this stuff. And I walked in and it was about three or four people go, hey, Mark, how you doing? And I went, oh, no, these people know me in here. And, uh, you know, my ego was such, I had a giant-sized, magnificent ego, you know, like a lot of us do in this program. But I, mine was giant-sized, magnificent ego, and I, I didn't, you know. And uh, I walked in there, and, and then finally I stayed, and, and I finally started going to the meetings. And uh, they all said they're glad I was there. And uh, so I, they said, you know, keep coming to the meetings, don't drink, and keep coming to the meetings. And we can show you how to stay sober a day at a time. And so I started to go to the meetings, and, and I, I, I still had a problem with the booze. And I was having trouble. I was struggling with that first step. And the guy that I asked to be my sponsor, he, uh, he kept telling me to pick up the big book and read uh, Roman numeral 26. And uh, that's in the third edition. It's on the third edition, Roman numeral 26 and 27. I wouldn't read anything. I didn't think that book had anything to do with me. And uh, I had a drug problem. I didn't drink. But I was too afraid to drink because I was afraid of what might happen because I know when I drank, I went and called up my, my friend that had all the drugs. And it didn't occur to me what was going on. And uh, so I, I kept in. And finally, I... I relented and I started getting you know, a little willing to, to do things that he was asking me to do so he never told me what to do he'd tell me what his sponsor had him doing and they he'd call me boy he said boy my sponsor used to tell me and, and I used to read this and he'd tell me how to do this and I'd always wonder when he's going to show me how to do it but he was he was passing on what he had learned uh, to me and, and I finally relented and I picked up the book and I read Roman numeral 26 and 27 in the doctor's opinion it talks about why men and women drink because they like the effect produced by alcohol and I went oh my god I like the effect produced by alcohol and I admit it's injurious and and I see other drinking people drinking with I can't read it I can't say it verbatim but drinking with impunity, and I, and, and I repeat it over and over again. Uh, I succumbed to it, to drinking and drugging again, and, and, and uh, you know, swear I would never do it again. And uh, I repeated it over and over again. And I went, oh, my God. How did the book in 1939 know what I was doing? It was written in, I think, 1939. And how did these people know what I was doing? And uh, finally, I went to my sponsor and I went, how did these people know what I was doing? Because I did exactly what they said in, that, in, in the first part of the book. 
the Roman numeral part of the book. It wasn't in the, you know, what they say, the recovery. You know, it was part of the recovery, but uh, it's a doctor's opinion. But it was very important to me, and it struck me, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. It didn't matter, because my sponsor kept telling me, it didn't matter what it is, it's what it does to you. And it finally occurred to me, he was right. When I picked up a drink and got blasted, I went and got some drugs. And when I did drugs, I drank. And uh, it occurred to me that it didn't matter what it was. What he was trying to tell me is what it did to me. It, 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 it started that allergy that, that y'all told me I had. That compulsion, that obsession of the mind, a compulsion of the body. And that's exactly what it did. And, he, and it pointed it out in that book. And they knew about what I was doing. And, and that's when the white flag went up. And, uh, you know, I, I said, well... Maybe that first step, what they're saying, was right. Because I always thought I had the world by the tail. My life wasn't unmanageable. But I found out the world had me by the tail, and it was holding me up about two inches off the ground, and my feet were dangling. And uh, that's when I was finally able to surrender to that first step. And I always thought surrendering meant to, meant to lose. And uh, I uh, discovered in Alcoholics Anonymous that uh, I know it's like talking about the paradoxes. Uh, surrendering in Alcoholics Anonymous for me means to win. And the thing I win is my life. And that's basically what I want to be able to do. And what my higher power wants me to do is to live my life. I believe that today. And I was able to, to surrender to that fact that I could, I could, I could, I could win. And uh, didn't it, surrendering didn't mean anymore. And that was the first time I, because it talked about having a psychic change, and the psychic change to me is between my ears. That's my psyche, and, I, and that was the first change in my thinking uh, that I that, that occurred to me, and my higher power helped me through. Because I I still didn't believe God was going to help me. I believed in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That was my first higher power. I, I saw it working for y'all, so I thought it might work for me. And then I, you know, I was going to meetings and I was I was hanging on that first step, and, and I and my sponsor says, "Well, you got to start, you know, maybe looking at that second step." And uh, you know, it talks about you know being re restored to sanity, and you haven't been yet. It said could. Uh, be restored to sanity, and uh, it was. And I, and I, I, I listened to them, and I, my sponsor. And I listened to these two guys talk, and they're talking about the insanity of the program, expecting different results every time he did something. And I did that. I, I expected different results every time I went back to drink. Well, I won't drink this much this time, or I won't drug this much this time. And I did that. And I never knew that definition of insanity. I thought it was all the crazy things I did, but it wasn't. It was my crazy thinking. I had insane thinking. And uh, I was able to believe in the program. And I was starting to come to believe. I, I know there's a little sign in the, you see in the AA rooms that says, uh, uh, came to believe, and, you know, come to believe, and, and uh, I believe. And uh, it might be in reverse, but I can't remember every, all of it. But uh, anyway, the, uh, you know, I went on to the third step uh, once I once I could believe that this power, uh, the power greater than myself, could restore me to sanity. If I just would, and he says, well, you got to take the action. You can't think your way through this thing. You have to take the action also. And he pointed out something to me in the third step. It says you're just making a decision, and uh, you're making a decision because uh, God won't take your free will. You have to give it to them. And, uh, and he also pointed out, you know, it says, you know, that uh, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over the care of God as I understood him. Well, what was my will? I didn't know what that was. And, you know, my life, I knew it was going on. And they explained to me, you know, these guys that I was walking with uh, that walked me through these steps because uh, I ended up... <laughs> I, I ended up uh, later on getting another sponsor and another sponsor, and God bless all three of them. Uh, they all passed away. But, uh, you know, my, my uh, 
determine my will, and my will was my thinking, and my life was my actions. So I had to turn my, my thinking and my actions over the care of God as I understood them because I was having sane thinking and sane actions. Uh, wrong thinking, I had to have the right thinking, I had to have sane thinking and, and sane actions. And that's what my higher power wanted for me, and I had to turn that over to him. And I didn't know how to do that. I, I, you know, I had to turn it over, you know, turn my thinking over all these things, and, and uh, I heard, I saw something at the bottom of the page on, on these steps. It said, practice these principles in all your affairs. Now, I didn't jump down to step 12, but I borrowed that out of step 12 when I hit step 3. I said, I got to practice this. And one guy came up to me. You know, I was floating around in pink clouds. It seemed like every time I would do a step, I felt better. I felt better. I, I felt like, you know, I could stay sober a day at a time, you know, with, with help following these guys around these old grizzly guys man they knew how to stay sober a day at a time and uh, you know y'all told me I just had to do it today I get a daily reprieve and I believe that today but I had to practice it and then one guy he had eight years in the program his name, his name is George and he had a little bit of an anger problem he come up and he goes you know Mark I've known him my whole life he says you know it's real easy to be grateful when everything's going right, what are you going to do when it goes wrong? You going to be grateful then? And uh, I thought about that, and I said, "Well, how the heck am I going to do that? How are you be grateful when things are going sideways?" So I practiced it. I practiced being grateful when things were going good, and practiced thing being grateful when things were going bad. And I did that with my surfing. I paddle out, and and I start paddling out. And I asked God, you know, to help me with this, and it, it just came to me. I, I know my higher power gave it to me. Uh, when I was paddling out, the breaking waves, the white water, were trials and tribulations in life. And if I kept paddling, I can get through those trials and tribulations, and I could get out the smooth water. But if I quit paddling, I'd be right now all that turmoil. So I had to keep paddling, no matter what happened. I had to be keep paddling. And then when I turn around, I catch a wave. Uh, if the wave knocked me off, I'd thank them because uh, I had to uh, you know, be grateful when things were going bad. And when I got a good wave, I'd thank them. And people thought I was crazy out there. I'd be thanking God all the time. A few of my friends going, what are you talking about? And uh, I'd be out there whistling and thanking God for everything. And uh, but, you know, it, it occurred to me that, that I had to do that in my everyday life. And it says practice the principles in all your affairs. And that's how I started, I guess, feebly practicing that theory from Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know what else to call it, uh, what they tell, tell you in the big book. And, and it tells you, it told me in the big book I read in there, it, t it tells me, it tells me uh, once I started reading it, started studying it, you know, my sponsor pointed out to me, when you get the big book, it's got a blue sleeve on it. And, and uh, it says, this is the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he says, what do you do with a textbook when you're in school? I said, well, you study out of it. He said, exactly. That's what you do with this book. You read the book, but you got to study it. You don't just read it. So that made sense to me. You know, that made a lot of sense to me. And I... Uh, practiced and, and you know being grateful and practice trying to turn my my thinking and my and my actions over the care of God so I had the right thinking and the right action because I always had the wrong thinking and the wrong actions the uh the work going on to step four uh my sponsor you know once I was working step three he always told me he says well you raised that work another step you'll know it and uh, when you're not you stand you go back to that previous step and that's what I did a few times. And, and finally, you know, I was sitting there with my sponsor for months, a couple of months, and he'd be telling me about how his sponsor told him to work step four and got a piece of paper and drew a line, line across, and made this list, and just like it was in the big book. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, because I used to go get coffee over at his house on Sunday mornings. We always had a on Sunday morning coffee, and uh, he, if I didn't go surfing that day, he'd tell me to go back to the beach and paddle out and then come back to his house. It was really weird. 
But he was trying to get me to get some balance in my life because my life was all out of whack. I had no balance. I had, you know, I was one extreme to the other, and I was trying to keep it in between the ditches. And that was my goal, to keep my balance in my life. So he made me go back and paddle out in the water, even if the waves were any good. And it used, it used to sometimes make me mad because it was all choppy sometimes. I don't, I don't like to paddle out when it's real choppy. But I did, and that helped me uh, learn some balance in my life. I had to do certain things to, to achieve certain things in my life. And, uh, you know, we, he'd sit there and tell me how a sponsor, you know, had him do step four. And I... I'd get madder and madder every time I go over there because I was wondering what he was going to tell me. And then finally it occurred, this is when it occurred to me uh, that he was telling me. He was passing on what had been passed on to him. So one afternoon I went home and uh, I opened up the big book to step four and uh, drew a line down the page, a line across the page and did my four step. And he always pointed out to me, he says, this is not a immoral inventory. It says moral inventory. You got to talk about some things. You got to write them down. You make a list of people and, and why you're this way at them and that way at them and why you, you can do better. And uh, but you know it's moral inventory. It's not an immoral inventory. And he really pointed that out to me. So I did. I, I went and did. It. And then that's when I balked. I don't know why. I carried that four step around. I smoked at the time and I carried it around my top pocket my four-step and uh i go to his house and we talk and blah 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 and he'd tell me about the four-step and blah 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 and, and finally he says you know you've been carrying that four-step with you every time you come over here uh for about two weeks now when are you gonna pull it out and let's talk about it <laughs> i'm like how'd you know that he says, well i can see it behind your cigarettes there's a piece of paper in there you don't carry a piece of paper around with you you know, you carry cigarettes in your pocket. So, you know, I pulled it out, and uh, we sat and talked. And we talked for, you know, an hour or so, and he, I told him reasons I had things that written down. And <clears throat> he told me a little bit about himself and uh, things he had written down in his fourth step. And we did our fifth step, and we, we, we prayed afterwards, and uh, or didn't pray, just sat and meditated. And... uh I felt better again. I felt really good. And, uh, you know, things uh, weren't going uh, real well in, in business and stuff. And uh, I'd always run over and see him sometimes. And i go, well, you know, this person's not doing this way. And this person's not doing that. And I'd be pointing and pointing and pointing. And my dad's, me and my dad and I were in business together. And we were button heads all the time. We had our own ideas. And that's when he, uh, you know, pointed out 448 and 449 in the big book. Talks about acceptance. And that's when he told me, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, I couldn't uh, accept people, places, and things for exactly the way they're supposed to be in God's world, that uh, I couldn't be happy. And... Uh, and he also told me about this finger pointing thing, you know, where I pointed a finger at somebody, looked down at my hand, and he says, how many fingers are pointing at you? Maybe you better work on yourself, not so much worry about everybody else. Cause you should go to work for MGM. You're the best projectionist I've ever met. And you could run the films for them and, and all that stuff. And he, he used to tell me that all the time. And I finally learned it, and I'm still working on that. I'm working on that today that I can't change anybody, I can only change me. And what I learned in, 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 that, in, in those uh, fourth and fifth step that I can only change myself. I can't change anybody in the world. And, uh, but you know, he used to tell me that uh, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have a parade for me and they didn't have uh, trumpets and they didn't have all these, you know, cheering people on the sides of the road just because I got sober. The world isn't going to change. I had, I had to change the way I dealt with the world. And uh, I believe that today. And uh, some, some days it's easier than others, but uh, it's always worth it when I, I don't have to take a drink or a drug over it. And, and you know, I, I went home after we did my fifth step, and I, w I went back to uh, my house and opened up my big book, and I read about the sixth and seventh step. 
And I sat down and I asked God, you know, please uh, take all this stuff away from me. I want to relieve my, myself of all these things. And, uh, you know, over the next two weeks, every, every defect of character, every shortcoming came up. I was going crazy. I went out of my mind. Uh, I, I, was, I was running around with a chicken my head cut off. Every one of them came up that I had written down. And I went running over my sponsor going, oh, this and this and this and this. And he goes, uh, well, you know, what do you do when you eat a pizza? Do you stuff the whole pizza in your mouth? And I said, well, no. And I says, what do you do? He said, well, I take a piece out and I take a bite and I chew it up and swallow it. He says, that's what you do with your shortcomings and uh, character defects. You pick the most glaring one, you work on it. And once you, once you worked on that one, you feel good about it, you go to the next one. You got them written down in your fourth step. So I got them written down. Now I got to work on them. I thought I'd just ask God to. It's always you got to work on something. You have to do the work. You have to be willing to do the work, he used to tell me. You have to be willing. And, uh, you know, the eighth and ninth step. I remember uh, these steps kind of go together and uh, for me. And uh, I remember... Uh, when I first got sober, I was probably about 30, 30 days sober. And this last girlfriend I had, cause I was still single, uh, I really messed her life up and, uh, I was sober 30 days and, and around that, maybe a little longer. And she come walking down the road in downtown St. Augustine. And I was leaning up against the, uh, lamp post out in front of my store, smoking a cigarette. And I saw her, I'm like, Oh my God, I gotta go talk to her making amends because I'd seen that up on the board. And I went running over to her, and I, I started saying hello, Su you know, Susan, or her name was Susan, and this and that, and I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I'm sober, and I'm straight, and I haven't done any drugs in this long. And she just sat there and let me talk and didn't have an expression or anything. She kind of smiled a couple of times, and then she goes, big blanking deal. And walked off, and I went, "Oh my God, I made a mess, blank and deal, and up yours, and all this stuff." And walked off, and I went running to my sponsor, and he says, "Well, that's why he put those numbers in front of those steps, and you're not at step nine yet. You're still, and I think I was still doing step one, but I know in step eight, it, 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 I had that list I made in, in uh, my fourth step, and the people I needed to make amends to, and I was willing." I became willing. I asked God to help me to be willing to make amends. And my sponsor told me, you're not making an amends yet. You're just willing to do it. It's like when you're walking down the street and this person you want to make amends to and you're willing to make amends is coming up the street. You don't hang your head across the street. You hold your head up high and say hello to them and you walk by. And, or you might say something to them. You're, you're, uh, you know, you're starting to you know, rejoin the human race. And uh, so, you know, I did that for a while. I made my list and became willing to make amends. And I started making direct amends to such people wherever possible. And it says wherever, except when to do so would injure them or others. And it tells me when to do it and when not to do it. And uh, I listened to that. And, and I've, made, I've made amends. I, I've had people, people show up in my life. I, I'm able to make amends. I've, I've sought people out. And there's still people to this day, uh, 36 years later, that I haven't been able to make amends to because I can't find them yet. But I'm still looking, and I am willing. God knows I'm willing. If they show up in my life, I'm willing to make the amends to them. And I was, I was. Uh, that's another step that made me feel better. And uh, sometimes it made them feel better, and sometimes uh, I got a big blanking deal, and they walked off. But I did it for me, and I was trying to, to make everything right, and God knows that, and he, he, uh, he knows what I was trying to do. And, and the uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th step I try to live in today, I try to take amends, you know, make amends uh, daily or, uh, you know, take an inventory daily and, uh, you know, and admit when I'm wrong. I, I remember meeting a, a fellow aa or and uh, – St. Augustine, I was talking to this one person, and he came butting in, and I didn't, I didn't know he was an AA at the time at our job. And uh, I had since retired from the surf shop, and I was driving a, a special needs school bus. I, I, I tried to retire and couldn't retire, and I, 
I had to go back to work uh, because I was going crazy. And uh, this is the longest I've been without working, guys, right now. So I'd retired again. I, uh, I think we're going on eight months now. Last time I lasted three. But anyway, it was funny. He came he, he came butting in on the conversation I was having this other bus driver that was trying to tell her something. And he told me, you know, I didn't know what I was talking about. And I would not tell her that. And I got all pissed off and ran, ran him up the rails. And uh, the next day, I felt I knew I shouldn't have done that. And I walked over to him and I said, you know, I was wrong to do that in front of and I apologize for doing that. Uh, you knew what you were talking about. My ego got in the way. So, okay, that's all right. Don't worry about it. And that was on Friday. And then Saturday, I went to this meeting in St. Augustine. It's called the uh, Saturday Night Live meeting. It's a big speaker meeting. There could be 100 people there sometimes. And uh, I'm sitting there with my wife, and uh, this guy comes walking in, a big old guy from Syracuse. He's originally from Canada and Syracuse area. And he's a real, I call him a real Canadian. And he, uh, he goes, what are you doing here? I said, well, the same thing you are. And it was funny. We, we got to talk, and we, all, we both came into the program about the same time. But anyway, I got, we got to be good friends. He's since moved back up north. But, uh, you know, I, I, I find through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God is I understand him. I, I, try, I do that every morning. And... and I'm not a big meditator. I can meditate for probably about five minutes. I'm still, uh, <laughs> I can't sit still that long sometimes. But uh, in, in, in the 12th step, you know, I try to practice these principles in all my affairs. And, and, and I, I, I remember the, 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 the uh, psychic change and the experiential experience from these steps and, and finding that, that God, that God uh, will help me. All I have to do is ask, and as long as I'm willing to help myself, I'm convinced to this day that uh, he uh, wants me to enjoy that big old world out there that he made and not be miserable in it. I made myself miserable in it for a lot of years, and to this day, I think he wants me to be uh, happy in this world, and I believe that today. And, uh, you know, it talks about in the book, it says... uh, uh, the reason this book was uh, written was to help me find a power greater than myself that will solve my problem, not maybe, not maybe. And it also tells me uh, precisely how we recovered the first 100 from a hopeless state of mind and body. And I believe today I, I've recovered a day at a time from a hopeless state of mind and body, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And uh, some days are good and some days are bad. Uh, but uh, that's life, and uh, the bottom line is it's worth it. And my one of my sponsors, uh, my friend uh, Robert, I'll never forget, I, I was afraid to go to the beach. And I was asking God, please help me get back to the beach and go surfing. I was afraid who I was going to get around down at the beaches because I had, I had come to the point where I was in the back of my van getting high, and I wouldn't even go surfing. And I, that was, I'd started surfing when I was 10 years old. And I got uh, sober when I was 30. But, uh, you know, he, I, I met him in the program about uh, about a year in. He he had about seven years in the program. And he said he used to surf. And I had you know, I had a surf shop full of surfboards. So, so I said, come with me. And I, I learned him a surfboard to go surfing again. So I had an AA buddy to go surfing with. I believe my higher power did that for me today. And four years into the program, I met a young lady and got married, and we had kids. And uh, we've been married ever since. And uh, our kids have grown up, and they're having kids. I have a grandson. And uh, my kids uh, live here in uh, Orlando area. And uh, we still live in St. Augustine. So we decided that we were going, when we retired, my wife retired, uh, we were going to move down here and uh, be near our grandson, watch him grow up, and our kids again, and our girls. We have two beautiful girls I'm blessed with. Uh, I took good, we took good care of them, and they take good care of us. And uh, it's just uh, my higher power, um, I call him God today. I talk to him every day, and I talk to him like a friend. Uh, he's my buddy. And uh, I might be talking to him all the time. Uh, and my wife will uh, ask me sometimes, who are you talking to? She thinks I'm crazy. Uh, I'm talking to God, and uh, 
she'll just make some snarky remark and keep on going, but she does it in a loving manner. But, uh, you know, I've been blessed with this day of sobriety, and uh, I get a daily reprieve. And as good as it gets and as bad as it gets, it's always worth it. Uh, not take a drink or a drug a day at a time, and uh, that's been lifted for me, and I'm very grateful for that. And uh, uh, it's uh, my life is worth it today, and uh, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for your uh, your story being uh, with us today, uh, Mike, grateful alcoholic. I could. Uh, relate to a couple pieces that I didn't uh, didn't realize I came into the program at 29 uh, just two weeks before my 30th birthday and uh, you know I uh, I was really scared the first couple meetings I went to there really wasn't anybody my age and I don't know if when you came in you dealt with the the same thing but it is really I feel like it's early in life to make that decision like nope not gonna, not gonna do that. And then I realized that uh, when I hit step three, it wasn't my decision to make. You know, like every drink that I needed to get to to get into the rooms was achieved, and I got. And then I needed to um, to figure that out and go through the steps. You know, I think a lot of us immediately you want to jump into making amends, especially with people. I, th- I, th- I think you're in a relationship with, an intimate relationship with, if it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you want to do that um, because that's the, you know, they call them in the rooms hostages, you know, because you feel it's genuine. You feel bad, but it's also genuine that, uh, you know, who are you to think they'll accept that when you probably apologize so many times before and, and there wasn't the weight of a big book in the apology, you know, and even though at that point when you uh, tried to make that amends, there was only 30 days of the big book in you at that point, as you said, that's 30, you know, it's, it's time, time takes time. We say that to to start uh, each podcast and uh, I'm, I'm glad to know that, yes, as your sponsor said, the steps are in order for a reason. There are those numbers next to them and how important it is. Um, because without, I can honestly say, speaking for, for James and for Dennis, without that and that knowledge, uh, you know, this podcast never would have existed if we didn't make it through the first 11 to get to step 12 to just try to carry that message. Um, and to practice the principles in all our affairs, sounds like you're doing an amazing job being there for your daughters. Um, something that a lot of people that don't have those principles can't be. And sometimes it's, uh, not up to them. Sometimes they, they, you know, their children don't want to be a part of their lives today, but it doesn't mean it's forever. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, you have that in your life. You know, I, I just had my first daughter, um, a year and a half ago, and I'm glad that uh, I can. I'm kind of excited because early in the program, there was somebody that brought their, I don't know if you brought your girls to any meetings at all or anything, but uh, one of my friends would bring his daughter to meetings, not all the time, but regular enough that it was like when she wasn't there, we're like, oh, where is she, you know? And, uh, just to, it's it's such a positive thing to to teach people how to live life on life's terms without anything um, that I'm kind of looking forward to that, you know, and seeing if when she's trying to learn how to talk more than just a couple words right now, maybe a couple years from now, see if she tosses out some slogans. You know, oh, yeah. you know, get them back at me all the time. Yeah. D- my d- kids went to meetings with me. D- do they say, hey, dad, it's time to go to a meeting? Oh, yeah, many times. <laughs> and I'll get slogans back at me all the time. 
So you I know. think it's going to be funny when her first word, you're going to be like, go to your room and don't do that again. She's going to be like, do the next right thing, mm. daddy. She's like, rule 22, 62, <laughs> 60, rule 62. What's, what's 22? 22 is take the hot pocket out of the microwave. It's overcooked. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pass this along to Dennis, but thanks you, thank you so much for your story, Mark. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate you coming to the studio and sharing your story. Um, apologize on James behalf about the dying Christmas tree, but he, he's going to remove it in the next month or two. Um, Nonsense. <laughs> it still smells nice. It does smell nice. That is true. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> but uh, I, I can, uh, I like when you, uh, you mentioned the paradox of surrender, you know, where like you surrender to win or whatever. I think in our society and, and, in a lot of culture, it's, it's like you get the idea of, you know, you never give up. You win. If you're not getting it, you have to grind harder. You have to make it happen. You know, if you, you know, pull your bootstraps up and all of this stuff. But in the in my reality and in, in my life, like I would drive myself crazy trying to do stuff. You know, I would like like I obviously didn't know how to live the life that I was trying to live. And in doing that, I just drove it into the dirt. You know, I didn't, I couldn't do it. And when I finally came into the rooms or had a spiritual experience and I, and I finally learned to let that go, you know, I think there was a lot of things that I had to surrender. I had to surrender the idea that I didn't know what I was doing, that I didn't know how I was living. I had to surrender the idea that like a lot of the people in these rooms uh, were in the same position, but they had something that, that, change that you know i had to surrender you know just the idea of you know perfection or like that i had control over everything you know and i think it it is a paradox but once you, you get past that idea of it a paradox and you you let go of those i old ideas and you know and you learn how to put it into the hands of a higher power it it actually makes even more sense than the other stuff ever did you know and I think that's a hurdle for a lot of people. That's step three. That's step two stuff. Um, another thing is is the procrastination on the fourth step and the fifth step, like carrying the list around. I think there's a lot of like fear that's involved in that. Where, where you know, our whole lives, or at least for me, I spent my whole life like hiding everything. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't like tell my parents what were really going on or other my friends and stuff like that because then that would make me a bad person or doing something wrong and I'd get in trouble so I learned a really early age to hide everything you know when we were doing illegal drugs we hide from the cops we hide from society um so to be vulnerable and open up and actually be honest with yourself put it on paper and then share it with someone can be really scary but I think it's uh you know once I did it once I got it done and did those steps it was a relief it was uh it wasn't scary anymore it was nothing what I imagined it would be like you know judgment and punishment and fire and brimstone and all of that and it was actually healing it was good it was healthy and uh and I think that set me up to be more open and honest after that with my fellowship my friends and and people close to me and stuff like that so it never like a lot of that hiding and that stuff that we're afraid to tell the world and tell people it builds up over time and that causes all of our depression and anxiety and and all of this and then once we open that gate and then feel like you know come to that realization that it's not as scary as it is and then we can deal with it on a daily basis you know like with the 10th step and everything like that to where it never builds up like that again you know, and uh, but again, thank you for sharing. Um, James is making faces at me, so I'm going to throw the mic at him. Thank you, Dennis, for that wonderful introduction. Mark, thank you. I uh, really appreciate you coming thank and sharing you your story. Yeah, I've never heard your story, and I've known you for about six months or so since you've been in celebration. And you know, you're always at the meetings, and you're always very kind. You can you can tell you've got the the spirit of the universe working for you, and 
and you really I really appreciate that you know you see a lot of dry drunks and you see a lot of people who just get this deal and you are definitely one of those from what I've noticed I could identify a few things with you and your story um, I could identify um, not knowing if I was an alcoholic because drugs were more of my bag baby and um, I remember um, also getting drinks and then getting past that first or second shot then immediately calling my drug dealer because I wanted I wanted to feel more I wanted more I was like okay I've got a nice buzz what else can I do to my body to make me feel completely obliviated and and that's what I did for a long long time um I didn't know if I was an alcoholic of course, now I do know that I was. Uh, I really enjoyed your story about um, the the surfing and the wave breakings and just having the gratitude for getting past the breaks. And then, you know, when the when the surf would knock you down, you would thank God for that. And that was that was really inspiring. I I try to live my life today in, in gratitude and just appreciate everything. Uh, when I'm in traffic, when I'm in line, I, I try to look around my surroundings and appreciate, you know, the building structure and the the skyline, not all the cars around me. And that seems to help me. It's definitely a practice, definitely a practice, but I'm working on that. I loved how you uh, you went through the steps and you you described how you experienced each step. You know, everyone's got their own journey. And um, for me, you know, it was no exception. And then um, finally, just thank you. You know, it's it's nice that you you're here and you're giving back and you're, you know, 30 years into it and you're still going to meetings on a regular basis and you're you're just appreciating the newcomers and you're appreciating life. So thanks very much, Mark. I appreciate you. Thank you so much uh, for you guys identifying and of course, Mark telling his story. We'll be back next Thursday. This Christmas tree, let's be honest, still going to be up. Uh, we'll be sharing our experience, strength, and hope with you on the topic of progress, not perfection, on episode 21. We're in the 20s, guys. Huh? Woohoo! It's pretty, it's pretty good. What? Dennis, uh, D- Dennis is a, what? Huh? We're, we're already in the 20s. Today, oh, this is the 20th. The 20s. Yeah, 20, 20th episode. Yeah, it's, uh, flappers. we are the defective <laughs> characters. Don't, don't put in their dresses. <laughs> <laughs> but I look in a dress. Dennis does not. We're the defective characters. <laughs> Entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember, you got a favorite slogan you want to drop in? I get a daily reprieve. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye.